Let's enter into a time uh, of worship, beginning with some reading from Scripture. I'm going to read from three places uh, this morning. Again, uh, tell a little story, if I may. The first is from Genesis chapter 3. We read these words. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then from Exodus chapter 3, we read these words. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. To a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then one last short passage from Exodus 34. After the, the issue with the, the golden calf, and God rewrote on the stone tablets, we read these words, Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their Asherim. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence this morning thankful for your goodness. Thankful for your faithfulness. Not only as you were faithful to the sons of Israel, 
over many years and through their much unfaithfulness, you have been faithful to us through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we praise you that we can come into your presence because of the blood of our Savior? And we ask this morning that you would teach us not only as we sing, but from your word and as we fellowship together. And that we would delight in your presence. Father, you have been good to us. You have blessed us with friendships and relationships in this body. But more than that, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So God, we come before you this morning humble and thankful and dependent upon you for everything. In and of ourselves, God, we are inadequate to even praise you. And yet we ask, God, that you would accept the sacrifice of our lips this morning as we sing to you. That you would accept the sacrifice of our hearts as we give ourselves to you in, um, in worship and in submission to your word. That you would accept the sacrifice of our wills as we love one another. As we care for one another in this body. As we encourage one another. As we pray for one another. God, through your Spirit, encourage us this morning. Help us overcome the things of the world that our, uh, that our, our ears and our hearts and our minds would be attuned to what you have for us this morning. And God, may we leave changed that we may impact those around us. Father, we pray for those in our midst who continue to hurt and, and grieve and struggle with health and with family members and just the busyness of life. God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts this morning an encouraging word. Remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness. We look forward to meeting you this morning, God. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship together? We have uh, been talking a little bit about sorry, uh, giving yourself first to the Lord and what that, what that looks like and what that means. And Bo talked about that a couple of weeks ago in terms of um, our material possessions. And we talked about that last week a little bit um, more in terms of recognizing the grace of God. And Him giving everything to us. And that that, in a sense, motivates us to give ourselves to God. Phil, did you go? Oh, he already did. Good. Uh, the, the third verse of that song, I'll set my gaze on God alone and trust in Him completely. Um, to give ourselves completely to God means that, that I don't trust in myself. And one of the ways that manifests itself is in how we spend our time. Particularly how we begin our day, how we face trouble, how we deal with pressure. And I believe that it's, it's impossible to give ourselves first to God if we're not willing to set aside time each day to, to hear from Him. 
to pour out our soul to Him, which requires that, that this become uh, an integral part of what you do each day. That time in prayer is an integral part of what you do each day. Uh, not just before a meal, I'm not talking about just saying grace, but, but that we carve out, that we make time to spend time in God's Word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time quietly listening, which I confess for me is a, a difficult thing. You might say, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say because, uh, to be quite honest, the last two and a half years have been probably the most difficult time for me in, in making sure that I keep those habits straight. When I used to work, I knew where I had to be at a certain time and I could always just count backwards. <laughs> okay, you got to get up. Um, and yet, I, I find myself in a, in a weird schedule at times and, and I have to... Say, this has to be done. But we have time, if we make time, to spend time in, in God's Word, to spend time praying and, and listening for His voice as He leads and guides and directs us as individuals and at his, as His church, as His body. And so as we continue to talk about that um, over the next few weeks, giving ourselves first to God, let me challenge you that part of that has to be you making up your mind that, you know, I, I struggle and, and I, I don't, I'm not consistent, but that whether you made a New Year's resolution or not, you know, January 28th could be the day when you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make time for this important book and I'm going to make time to Spend time with God in prayer. Our, our mission statement is that we want to glorify God as Christ-centered and spiritually vibrant people of biblical integrity. See, it's, it's not possible to be Christ-centered if we don't know who Christ is by spending time learning who it is. It's impossible to be spiritually vibrant if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us as we spend time in prayer. And certainly we don't know what that looks like if we're not people of biblical integrity. If we don't know this book well, all of it, integrity means whole, the whole book. And if we're not willing to let this whole book affect all of our lives. So let that be a challenge to us as we seek to give ourselves first to God. That we begin, if we haven't already, the, the habits of, of spending time in His Word and spending time in His in prayer. Let's continue to, to worship together. Would you stand with us, please? God, we thank you that uh, that this song speaks, speaks such truth um, about times in our lives where we are down, we are low, we are at our lowest. God, that uh, we as Christians, we as Christ followers who are under the blood of Christ can say, it is well with my soul. God, may we see that truth on a day-to-day -day basis when we are so prone to, to get bogged down, to get tangled up in sin, to be so nearsighted where we cannot see eternity with you, an eternity with you that begins today, that begins with our 
knowing you. It begins with you covering us. God, we thank you that when you look down, you see Christ. That you don't see the dirty rags that, that we offer, that we bring, that we see, that you see Christ. God, bless this time. Uh, soften our hearts. God, soften our hearts, till the soil that uh, that seeds may be planted, and and uh, the fruit would be plenty from this group, from the church. God, so we can be a part of your rescue plan to a, a lost and dying world, a shackled world. We praise you, God. We praise you for who you are. And we thank you for being a loving God, being a merciful God. God, give us an accurate view of ourselves and and help us have an understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Is it well with your soul this morning? If you're not sure about that, uh, that question, if you say, I, I don't know, and I would love to, to talk with you afterward. Um, seek me out. We can, we can discuss that. Um, I want to tell you something about God that I believe to start off. Um, but I want you to kind of put in the back of your mind and hold it there. I'm going to come back to it at the end. Um, I believe that God does not need me and God does not need you. I can't make Him happier or more joyful by anything that I do and neither can you. The psalmist writes in Psalm 16, in His presence is fullness of joy. I can't add to fullness. Neither can you. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is sufficient in Himself. Which then, in my mind, makes creation a very strange mystery. Because He didn't need to do it. And, maybe even more amazing, it makes the cross rather extraordinary. Just, I want you to file that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to that. We are in Genesis 37 this morning as we uh, continue through looking at the life of Joseph. There is an outline in your bulletin, and and I've already blown through Roman numeral number one. So what I've done for you, in case you missed that, I'm going to offer you some help. Uh, The elementary kids have been practicing taking notes, and I would encourage you as a junior high, high school adult, that you take notes as well. I would even encourage you to Bring a notebook because the bulletin, you take notes in the bulletin and then what do you do with it when it goes home? Right? It goes in the trash or on a shelf or in a pile somewhere, right? Um, so an outline there, but I would encourage you to bring a notebook because statistics say within 24 hours you will have forgotten 90% of what I say this morning. That's sort of depressing from my end. <laughs> but if you, if you engage your mind and your motor skills and write things down... 
that percentage goes up anywhere from 25 to 30%. Still not great, but better than it was. And if you then go back and review that occasionally, uh, you know, we might can get some stuff to sink in. That would be good. So I've done you a favor. I've, I've helped you. If you're not sure what to write down for number one, here's what I just said. That's kind of how I take notes with words and then sometimes pictures, right? God doesn't need me. The Trinity is sufficient. Creation is a mystery. And the cross is a wow. Right? You can take that or leave that. But um, Notes don't have to be fancy. Notes just simply have to jog your memory. Right? The goal is not to write down everything that I say. Please. <laughs> don't do that. But I would encourage you to... Um, Jot things down as we go through. As I said, we are in the middle of a uh, our time in, in Genesis, the end of Genesis, the life of Joseph. Um, and this morning we're going to look at a passage we looked at last week, but a little more detail. Uh, there are three main characters in Genesis 37. There's Jacob, there's Joseph, and then the kind of the collective character of the brothers. And so this morning, I'm going to reread what I read last week, verses 1 through 11. I'd love for you to follow along as we do that. Genesis chapter 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth along with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a varicolored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and for his words. Now he still had another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for the truth that is in it. God, I pray that as we spend time in your word this morning, that you would encourage us and that we would be more like you and less like ourselves when we're done. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. What's interesting is uh, chapter 37 is one of the few places in Genesis. There are only four or five other stories in Genesis where the name of God or God himself is not present. Fifty chapters, and there are only four or five places 
where the name of God or God himself is not present. And this is one of those places. See, what happens when God is not present, when God is not ruling, then someone else will. Someone else will erect a throne and sit on it and say, I'm important. I deserve recognition. Chapter 37 is one of those places. And what we see is the pride of man. We see that in Jacob. We talked about that last week. We see it in Joseph and we see it in his brothers. Now, some of you, if you've been around church long enough, the Bible long enough, you know that Joseph is kind of the hero of the Hebrews. I mean, everybody else is rather dysfunctional. And, and Joseph is kind of the guy that exhibits faith over and over again amidst difficult times. But he doesn't begin that way. He begins the same way his father and his brothers do, kind of building his own little throne and sitting on it and saying, I'm important, look at me. We talked about Jacob. You see, Jacob loved Rachel. There's a song by Rich Mullins that says, Jacob, he loved Rachel, and Rachel, he loved him, and Leah was just there for dramatic effect. <laughs> That's kind of that story, right? Jacob and Rachel fall in love, and then he gets tricked, and he marries the wrong person. And for the rest of his life, he's bitter and frustrated because things didn't go the way he wanted. And by golly, the son of Rachel is going to be my firstborn, even though he wasn't. I'm going to treat him that way because that's the way life should have gone. If I were in charge, Joseph would be the firstborn. He would be the rightful heir. And so he's going to be. Regardless of the fact that I have other sons who are looking up to me to be a godly father and, and to act like this God who has called me pride. I'm not content with the way God has my life going and so I'm going to change it. And Jacob builds a throne and he sits on it and says, this is the way it's going to be. And his family's in chaos because of that. Then there's Joseph. And he too exhibits pride. And I'm not sure which way it is. It's, it's one of two things. Either Joseph believes his dad that he is something special and so, therefore, it's okay to check up on his brothers who really aren't very special. And so he kind of becomes a tattletale. Hey, Dad, the, the guys are messing up again. And they did mess up. If you go back and read a few chapters before, uh, they get into a mess. You fast forward and they get into more messes. They're kind of scoundrels and they need someone to check up on them. And Joseph must be the right guy, right? So either he knows he's special and he needs to make sure everybody else knows. And so he has these dreams. And instead of keeping them to himself, see, he already knows his brothers hate him. He already knows that there's sibling rivalry going on. And, you know, he really should just keep his mouth shut. But he says, hey, guys, in case you didn't know that I'm special, guess what? I had a dream. And everyone knows in that culture that dreams come from God and so what he's saying is, not only does dad think I'm better than you, God thinks I'm better than you. They don't appreciate that very much. But it could be the other side of the coin. Joseph might know that, you know, I know dad treats me special, but I'm really not the firstborn. I really don't deserve this. And Joseph's actions could come out of a lot of just self-doubt. Maybe 
even low self-esteem. Either way, both of those things find themselves, their root in pride. See, pride can manifest itself as I am better than you and I'm going to prove it to you. But pride can also manifest itself as I should be better than I am. I really should be. I should be important. I should be somebody and I know I'm not and I feel bad and I have self-pity and I doubt and I worry. Oh, and so here's what I'll do. I, I need for them to, I need for them to, to like me or, or approve of me or, or something. I mean, I know dad does, but I want my brothers to also. I want them to, I want them to think that I'm special. Hey guys, I had this dream. Guess what? Either way, Joseph's building a throne and sitting on it. Look at me. Someone look at me. Someone, please, look at me. I'm special. And the brothers aren't any different because, see, they know that in their dad's eyes, at least, that they're not special. Several of them were born before Joseph, and yet... And are older than Joseph and have more responsibility than Joseph and seem to work harder than Joseph at times. And yet, Joseph's the one that's been granted favor. Joseph's the one that's been given the nice coat as a symbol of he's the firstborn. He's going to get the inheritance. One day when I'm gone, Jacob is saying he's going to be in charge of the clan. And they don't like that. And their self-doubt, their pride, we should be more important than this 17-year-old kid. Their pride says, I hate him. I hate that someone is better than me. And I'm envious and I'm jealous. I don't like it and I wish that I were different. I wish that dad loved me like he loves Joseph. And there's this, this thread of pride that runs through that entire family. And they are dysfunctional. Everybody has built their own little throne and is sitting on it and going, notice me, notice me. No different than that scripture I read at the beginning where Adam and Eve weren't content in God's presence. It's not fair. I should know more. I should know right from wrong. It's not fair that God's withholding. So they built their own little throne. They sat on it and they said, look at me. <laughs> and you know the story later on. God said, where are you? That, that grasp for power, that grasp for recognition, that grasp for... Being special, what did it lead to? It led to insignificance. It led to them actually hiding. It led to them crawling off the throne and crawling behind a rock and going, ah, that probably wasn't the best decision we ever made. Pride gets into a family and it rips it apart. Unless we think... Oh, but, you know, thankfully I'm not as bad off as this family or maybe that crazy family down the street. 
we ought to ask ourselves some questions. Where are we allowing pride to just slowly creep in? You young people that have brothers and sisters, and if you don't have brothers and sisters, you have friends, have you ever looked around at your siblings and gone, I wish I had that gift, or I wish I had his personality, or I wish I had his friends or her friends. I wish I was like my brother or sister. In and of itself, that may or may not be bad. We can look up and appreciate people's gifts and talents, but when we start saying, I wish I were not like God made me, you may not say that, but that's what you mean. I grew up thinking that way. I, I, there were lots of things about my older brother that I wish that I was like. He was very popular. He was always laid back. Nothing seemed to ever kind of get to him. Nothing ever ruffled his feathers. Things ruffled my feathers all the time. <laughs> it's like, how does he do that? And he was good with his hands, and he could work on a car, and he, he, was, he liked to go hunting, and it didn't really excite me, but I thought, that, that's kind of neat. I, I wish I had that personality. But, but I didn't. But it was pride. I wasn't content with who I was. And I wanted to be someone else. So as you look around in your family, do you think, ah, I wish I, wish I was like my brother or my sister. That's, that's pride creeping in and, and trying to build you a throne for you to sit on when in reality God has made you who He wanted you to be. And that's hard to be content with that sometimes. It may be even more difficult in, in the church setting. We look around and we go, Man, I wish I had His faith. Or I wish I had her compassion. Or I wish I had His organizational skills. I wish that all the time. <laughs> look at some of you and think, God, oh, everything's so... And you look at my desk and it's so... And it's easy in the body of Christ for us to look around and go, why is my faith not as strong as his faith or her faith? Why do I struggle when it seems they don't? Well, I wish I had their talents or their gifts. And it's, it's that same issue of pride trying to sneak in and say, you know what, you need to build a little throne and sit on it and say, hey, notice me. You ever had a conversation and you, you somehow managed to sneak in something that you'd done or something that you'd accomplished that may or may not have been part of the conversation in hopes that someone would recognize that and, and pat you on the back? I've done that. I've done that like three times this week. Caught myself doing that and go, you're talking about this on Sunday. And you have just a casual conversation and, and you, you insert something that, that you've done or accomplished and you go, why? Is God's recognition of me really not enough? That I need a fellow human being to pat me on the back. That's what's going on. right? I'm, I'm not content with God. 
I'm not content with who he is, and instead I, I need to, to manufacture self-esteem. I need to manufacture acceptance. I need to make sure that you appreciate me. Instead of being content. And we look around and so we seek recognition or we become jealous. And then, if you were paying attention earlier when I read, I read a verse where it said that God's name was jealous. So I want to take a little tangent here for just a second and make sure we get the difference between me being jealous of your gift and when God says that my name is jealous. It's a word that means I am zealous, not with a J but with a Z, I am zealous for something. And when the Bible uses that in terms of people, it's always for something else or someone else that we wish we had or wish we were like. And when God uses that, it's always in terms of Himself. You see, the issue is, in, in the context of when God uses that term, I'm a jealous God, it's always in the context of His people going after idols. His people going after other thrones and other gods and other thrones, and God says, I'm the only throne that exists. And he doesn't say, I'm jealous of that God. He just says, I'm jealous. I'm zealous for myself. Remember we talked about God is sufficient in himself. And when we build thrones or when we let someone else build a throne and we bow down to that throne, whether it's ourself or someone else, that rouses up his zeal for himself. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's the way we, ha we only have human words to talk about this incomprehensible God. And so that's the way it seems. His zeal for Himself is roused up. See, God sits on the throne and He does not want any rivals. None. And then here's what's amazing. This self-sufficient God Created. Created an earth and created humanity and allowed them to make choices and to build thrones. And he didn't have to do that. He doesn't need your love or your recognition. And then what's even more amazing is that He came down and planted Himself on this earth and He looked around and all that He saw were thrones. All of humanity climbing up on a throne and sitting going, look at me, look at me, and trying to fit a crown on their head. And He walks among us and He sees throne after throne after throne after throne and us trying to put crowns on our head go look at me look at me I'm special and then he allowed a crown to be put on his head and in the midst of all these thrones where we're either smiling 
because we're proud of ourselves, or glaring because we wish we had his throne. In the midst of those smiles and those glares, he died. Instead of climbing up on his own throne and saying, oh, you want to know what special looks like? I'll show you special. He climbed on a cross. And we could change the words to that last song just a little. My pride, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My pride, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You know what the problem is? We wake up in the morning, we get our crowbars, and we try, to, we try to pry that pride off of the cross that was nailed. As best we can, we pull and jerk and beat, and we say, no, 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 I, I want that back. And what it means for us to give ourselves first to God is that we agree with Him, first of all, that we have been, as Paul writes, crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live. That our pride, our sin, has been nailed to the cross. That we really don't bear it anymore. And that now on this side of the cross, we have an opportunity in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to put ourselves to death. When that thought comes in of, I wish I were like someone else or I wish I had their gift we have the ability through the Holy Spirit and the responsibility as children of God to put that thought to death to leave it on the cross to put the crowbar down and say I'm content the question is are you content when that thought comes in of I wish I was I wish I was better than I am Will you go to this book and open it up and read what God has done for you? You are special. You are special to Him who doesn't need you. He is sufficient in Himself. And yet He says, you're special. And He's written word after word after word that says you're special. When you're feeling like, I wish I was something or I wish I had something different... Would you go to the first chapter of Ephesians and just read and soak in and allow yourselves to rest in His goodness? When you're tempted to promote yourself, when you're tempted to, to tell someone, hey, look what I've done, look who I am, would you run to the Word and, and see that you don't need any more promotion because He's made you who He wants you to be? Would you open up the Word and, and, and read His great story of, of how He's pursued you? See, we have a choice every day because every day pride will come knocking on your door and every day you have a choice. Am I going to get the crowbar out 
and try to get my pride off the cross so that I can sit back on my throne? Or am I going to agree with God it's dead? And you're going to keep it dead. And you're going to become the person that God wants you to be. And then, when you've crucified pride, what that does is it frees you up to look around your family, to look around this room and love people freely. To encourage people who have gifts that you don't have to use them for the glory of God. To rejoice when you see someone doing something that maybe you wish you could do. It frees you up to love them, to rejoice with them, to encourage them. That's what happens when we kill pride. And then, when you're encouraging someone in their gift, that has kind of this this wonderful upward spiral effect. Right? They don't need to seek pats on the back because they're getting encouragement from the body to do what God has called them to do in a healthy, joyful, wonderful way. You see, we're going to spiral one way or the other. I'm either going to spiral down in envy or I'm going to spiral up in contentment in God. And we have a choice every single day, every one of us. Am I going to put pride to death or am I going to let it come in and and build my throne? As we walk out of those doors this week, would you be willing Put pride to death for God's glory and for the good of of this body. Would you pray with us, please? Father, thank you for today and thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, thank you that you, even though you don't need us, you desire a relationship with us and you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then you have equipped us individually with the gifts that you wanted us to have. God, help us through your spirit to be content. And to honor you by using those gifts for your glory. And for the good of your church. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.